to our right, and when ask the rest of you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Uh, while you're turning there, let me um, tell you about an incident that happened about 500 years ago in 1519, um, so 498 years ago. Uh, Martin Luther was having a, a debate um, as they would sometimes do, gather together and you know, hash out some of the different doctrinal points of discussion and the university and the church. So at this one debate, he made a statement that got him into some hot water. Did not, uh, did not go over well when he said that a simple layman, uh, the person in the pew, uh, armed, with, armed with this, armed with the scriptures, uh, was worth more than all popes and pastors and priests and church councils combined without this, right? So his point is, if you don't have God's word, if what you're saying isn't based on God's word, it really isn't worth much. Uh, and the simplest person who does have God's word uh, is worth far more than anything without it. Uh, he was threatened with excommunication for making that kind of statement. That's kind of crazy. So there was a lot going on in, uh, in, in that time of, of the church, that time of history, uh, we call the Protestant Reformation. And as we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation this fall, uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of the different foundations, uh, f- fundamental doctrines for our church and our denomination, our tradition. Uh, there's a sense in which... Um, we are just, you know, going to take all of the, uh, uh, um, <laughs> well, there's a crass way to say this, and I'm not going to say it. <laughs> we're just going to get rid of any of the, the, the mass, any, anything that would hide, you know, what, what do we believe at our core? Uh, we want you to know exactly what do we believe as we look at the scriptures and we think about how scripture alone is the authority for anything that goes on in the church, that God saves us by his grace alone, through faith alone, and his son alone. And that because of that, God alone gets the glory. And he's a sovereign God, and he saves us through his sovereign grace. And that has implications for a lot of different ways of how do we understand the gospel of our salvation. We're going to look at all of that stuff. We're going to talk about things like predestination. So um, we're just going to get real um, this fall. We're going to go back to some of the real fundamental doctrinal positions uh, of our denomination, of our tradition. But more than that, what does this say? Uh, what does this word say? So in honor of God's word, let's stand. And as I said, let me read verses 1 through 4 in chapter 1 of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let me pray for us. Father, would you bless 
the reading and the hearing and the receiving of your words us this morning. Would you grow us in our, uh, our likeness to Jesus? Would, would people around us see in us the likeness of Jesus? Would all of this happen because we are hearing the words of Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. All right, please be seated. Uh, so, a long time ago, you know, uh, five centuries ago, the, the, one of the, the calls to arms was sola scriptura. They liked to speak Latin back then. Uh, scripture alone is the authority uh, for us to know God, to relate to God, to know what God wants us to believe, to know what God wants us to do. And it's the church's job to convey God's word faithfully, not to add to it, not to take away from it, not to dilute it, to add static to it, uh, because the church's authority comes from Scripture. Uh, Scripture doesn't get its authority from the church. Uh, Another way to to put this in more contemporary uh, idiom is, um, uh, this is actually a a former Catholic priest, uh, Brennan Manning, wrote a book called The Rag and Muffin Gospel. He says that when the religious views of others interpose between us and the primary experience of Jesus as the Christ, we become unconvicted and unpersuasive travel agents handing out brochures to places we've never visited. Does that make sense? Nobody wants to do that. I don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. We want to be the genuine article. We want to be uh, disciples with integrity. I don't want to hand out brochures to places I've never been and and talk about experiences I've never had in terms of my relationship with Jesus. And the way to have those experiences and to know those things and to go to those places is here. So let's talk about how God speaks to us. God God spoke. And he he speaks to us uh, in his word. He spoke long ago, as Hebrews says, through the prophets, right? Uh, God spoke through the the prophets and through uh, the law. Uh, Sometimes when you read, uh, there's some shorthand that's used, like like the way that we use uh, shorthand today. Uh, They'll talk about the prophets, and really what that means is uh, it could mean Isaiah, it could mean Isaiah and Jeremiah, it could mean Isaiah and Jeremiah and Jonah and Micah, I mean it could mean the minor prophets and the major prophets. It could mean the prophets that would also include uh, Moses uh, as a prophet who was proclaiming God's word in the form of the law. Uh, It could also include the writings, uh, which would be like the Psalms and the Proverbs. So sometimes you'll hear the Bible talk about the prophets. Sometimes you'll hear the Bible talk about the law and the prophets. Sometimes you'll hear the Bible talk about the writings. It's all talking about the Old Testament. And uh, the Old Testament is what, you know, the author of Hebrews is referring to, that in many ways, many times, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And then uh, there's also this kind of bizarre mention of angels. Look at verse 4. That, um, that Jesus, after um, sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high, he was as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So what's the message of the angels about? Um, or that reference to angels? Well, the, the, the common conception was that God speaks and he speaks through his messengers. The angels come and they reveal God's word to us. How many times do we come across those episodes where an angel shows up 
and, um, and stands before somebody, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, and that, you know, the first words out of the angel's mouth are what? Don't be afraid, because the person that's being spoken to is like fearing, this is it, I'm done, because this is a holy encounter, and I'm not. Um, so after the angel has to pause and reassure the person, you're not going to die, it's okay, take a breath. Then what happens is uh, the angel goes on to say, thus saith the Lord, uh, and is God's messenger. Literally, in the Greek, the word angel is the word messenger. Uh, so the, the, the common conception was that God would use his messengers to speak his word uh, to the prophets, um, to uh, Moses, uh, to, you know, through the writings and, and so on. Um, you know, when, when Stephen, he's one of the early deacons in Acts chapter 7, uh, it's a bad encounter. Uh, he's the first Christian martyr, so to speak, uh, and they're about to stone Stephen um, for how he's preaching the gospel. Stephen's words go something like this. Uh, you who you know, are opposing the gospel, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and in ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. That means Jesus. You who received the law, not only the prophets, but also the law, as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So when we read in Hebrews about the superior revelation that comes through the word, through the Son, he's superior to the prophets, he's superior to the angels, uh, that's what it's telling us is that even such a being as the angels um, that, that Jesus is far superior to them. And look at how Jesus is described in these verses. Uh, just the, the, the weight of his role, the dignity of his office and what he does. He is appointed the heir of all things. He created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature upholding the universe, and then um, he made purification for sins, and he sat down because that ministry was finished. He, he could sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, and, you know, if you have Hebrews chapter 1 open in your Bible, you can look down at verse 13, and, you know, the author goes on, he makes all these other comparisons saying things like, to which of the angels... Did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits, servants, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So if you think about the, the, the comparison between Jesus and the angels, Jesus' words are far superior to anything that any, that any angel ever revealed. And, and you see this. You see this even in the Gospels, uh, because the angels show up when? They show up at the, at the incarnation, appearing to Joseph and Mary. They show up at the birth, and they appear to the shepherds, you know, glory to God in the highest, peace to you, come and see, and they go. And then uh, the angels are gone. You don't hear from the angels during Jesus' you know, earthly ministry when he himself is speaking. And then the angels show up again, where? In the tomb. You know, he's not here, he's risen, just as he said. 
so while Jesus was speaking, when he was the word incarnate, when, when he was there firsthand in front of um, his people, we don't need angels. We didn't need prophets at that point. We didn't need any of the other um, spokespersons because we had the word himself. God spoke. And he spoke through Jesus. And he gives us his word in the flesh. And God is spoken by his son. And therefore, you, you might wonder in light of reading um, these first four verses in Hebrews, then, well, if we have this superior word through Jesus, do we, do we need the Old Testament? You know, do we need the rest of this? And then what about you know, the epistles and, you know, everything that came after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What about, you know, Peter and Paul and James and John and their writings? Do we need them? Um, well, the answer is yes, uh, only because those words, when they're properly received, when they're properly understood, are meant to point us back to Jesus, to expand on who Jesus is, what he did, uh, what his teachings were, and so we can understand the gospel better. So we don't get rid of that. That's still, the, the Old Testament is still our mail. You know, it's still addressed to us. We have to read it rightly, uh, but it is for us. And you read places like in Ephesians 4, how it wasn't enough that um, Jesus came and he spoke and we have his words, but we read how God gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds or the pastors uh, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So um, when you hear those words, you see what is the relationship between the word of God through Jesus and all other words of God through the prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Well, Jesus gives us the way to understand and interpret all other of God's words. Jesus is the light, um, he's the flashlight that we have to read and, and, and see and appreciate those words. He's the, the filter that we have to, uh, to see those words through. He's the cipher, you know, the code breaker, uh, so that we know what is God revealing here. Uh, all of those things have to come through Jesus and his gospel. And if you're missing Jesus and if you're missing the gospel, God's word is going to mislead you. It's, it's not truly God's word. It's not full. It's not bringing you to maturity. And so, as we talk about this thing, like, Scripture alone is the authority for how we know what God wants us to believe about him and how he wants us to live, what's all, the, what's all this, the fuss? I mean, if God gives us pastors and teachers, gives us the church and, you know, people who have been called to, to, to teach his word and preach his word, then, you know, why would there be this debate? Well, the answer is because not all teachers are good teachers, and, um, and furthermore, not, there's no teacher, no matter how good uh, that teacher is, there's no teacher that's a perfect teacher. And so everything that we receive has got to be filtered through the gospel, filtered through God's word. You know, that passage in Ephesians 4 that I just read goes on to say the purpose of why God gave us, you know, good evangelists, pastors, teachers, apostles, etc., is so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So 
there are good teachers and there are bad teachers. You know, there are teachers who are looking to this word and opening it up and saying, you know, this is what God says. And then there are other teachers who are saying, well, you know what? This is the latest thing I heard in church growth trends. And this is what I've got on my Facebook feed. And this is, you know, what the polls out of Washington are saying. And this is just the way the winds of cultural currents are blowing. And, the, you know, and that's what you hear. And, and that's garbage. It's not teaching us what God says. It's not teaching us what he wants us to believe or how he wants us to live. Sadly, you know, we do have to guard against error in the church. The church can't put words in God's mouth. The church can't not communicate what God has said. The job of the church is to be like God's echo. Uh, the job of a pastor, the job of a teacher is, is to speak God's words after him, to help us understand God's word in a clearer way, to take the static out, not add static to. Um, so sadly, the church has tended to fall off the horse on both sides. Um, we either don't share uh, God's word accurately or we add to it. And um, so this is, I'm sure maybe you've had experiences like this, but um, a couple of summers ago, uh, we, we had the, some extended time off, and I think that summer we went to worship at about 12 different churches through some of the travels that we had, and just trying to see what the Holy Spirit's doing um, around town, and trying to appreciate the body of Christ as broad and diverse as it can be. Um, and that summer we went to some wonderful churches, and that summer we went to some, some not wonderful churches. And I can remember one service uh, where, all right, you know, there's all kinds of, of songs, there's prayers, there's a sermon, but it just wasn't scripture. There just wasn't God's word. I mean, I don't know, I don't really know what they were sharing. I, we did not hear the word Jesus until the benediction in the service. And God bless my kids. We all got in the van and we drove home and they were like, what just happened? Nobody talked about Jesus. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, yeah, we kind of got a laugh at it until we all got really disturbed, you know, and kind of upset about it. Uh, you know, Jesus is the bread of life, and there, are, there really are churches where, where people are starving because they're not getting the, the, the bread of life. So, on the one hand, you can go to places where they're just, you're just not going to hear God's word. Or you can go to places where you may hear, you know, uh, God's word, but you're also going to hear stuff that's added to it. Some, like, like, like bad varnish that's, you know, painted on and, and it just obscures rather than beautifies. So uh, you can go to really liberal churches and you'll hear about um, God, whoever he, she, or it is, um, who, who just indiscriminately loves and accepts everybody, no matter who he, she, or it uh, is, and no matter what he, she, or it has done. It doesn't matter. God's just a loving God and he accepts everybody. And you can hear that, you know, mess that's added on to the message of a, of a holy God, a just God, um, who really has a design for humanity and, and who calls the shots and gives us, you know, his rules for how we're supposed to live and, and what we're supposed to, how we're supposed to treat each other. Uh, or you can go to really conservative churches um, and you'll hear God's word, but you'll also hear, by the way, that um, God, uh, God only loves you and accepts you if, uh, if you're a very, very good rule-keeping, law-abiding person, if you tithe a lot of money. 
It doesn't hurt, by the way, if you're white and if you vote Republican. Uh, God will love you and accept you a whole lot. All that stuff's added on to the, the fundamental message of a just and holy God who loves us and gave his son for us, to, who laid down his life as an offering for our sins By faith in God's mercy through Jesus, our sins are taken away from us. They're placed upon Jesus who willingly receives them, who willingly endured the alienation of the cross, and as a gift gives us the record of his goodness and rightness. And that's how we stand before God, loved and accepted, blessed eternally, and everybody who has faith in him is blessed by their Father in heaven. I mean, that's the message. That's the good news, so to speak, of God's gospel. And if you're not hearing it in a church, then that's not what churches were called to do. We're called to be an echo of, you know, God's voice. So, uh, you know, liberal church, conservative church, what, what matters, are you a biblical church? You know, forget any other label. It doesn't matter. If you're not a biblical church, if you're not communicating God's word, it's, it's kind of pointless, and you might as well just go join the Rotary. So, you know, 500 years ago, this was really the debate. Um, we, don't, we can't base our life, and we can't, certainly can't base our eternity on anyone that doesn't uh, fully reveal what God's word is or adds to it unnecessarily. Uh, that scripture alone is the authority for what we're supposed to believe and how we're supposed to live. He's spoken. God has spoken. And if God speaks, we should listen. The good news is that he speaks not just sort of generally to the world, but he speaks to you. God has spoken to you. And if he's speaking and has a message for you and for me, are we listening? Are we receiving that word? Um, You know, I remember being... Uh, I mean, I was like everybody else, right? In our culture, we think that seeing is believing. We're very empirical, and we want hard facts, and we want to be able to smell it and taste it and see it and touch it. And, and so in that sense, seeing is believing. But the Bible works differently. For the Bible, hearing is believing. I was an 18-year-old, obnoxious, arrogant um, skeptic you know, when it came to the Bible, when it came to Christianity. And I had all these questions, and I just demanded answers, and I demanded proof. I wanted God to show me. I wanted to see it. And God in his grace, he, I, I got to see a lot, you know. I still had questions. But at the end of the day, what it came down to was for me to realize that it wasn't seeing that was believing. It was hearing that was believing. Paul tells us in Romans 10 that um, faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of God. So, uh, for instance, when Jesus was telling the parable of the, the rich man and this poor, desperate man, this beggar, outside the rich man's door, uh, the parable goes that the rich man got his reward in hell and the poor man got God's mercy and compassion uh, in heaven at Abraham's side. And the rich man is realizing the foolishness of his ways and he's talking, praying to Abraham and saying, you know, send, uh, send Lazarus, uh, send this poor, poor man to come and, and help me and cool my tongue. And 
Send him to my relatives so that they won't make the same mistake that I did. But Abraham says to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if somebody should rise from the dead. Neither will they be convinced even if someone should rise from the dead. Go to John chapter 11. Different Lazarus this time. This was the, the brother of Mary and Martha. And he's, he's, uh, he was sick and he died. I mean, he's so dead he's in the grave kind of dead. Right? They've had the funeral. He's buried. It's done. And Jesus shows up three days later. And there's this incredible scene where Jesus calls Lazarus forth. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out. And everybody's just going nuts. They can't believe it. And if you were there, guess what would amaze you more? Would it be Lazarus coming out of the tomb? Or would it be hearing Jesus saying, Lazarus, come forth? And hearing the power and the authority of those words being spoken, what would amaze you more? I guarantee you it would be what Jesus said, not what you saw. That's the power of God's word. Hearing is believing. So for us, if this is true, um, if you want to grow as a Christian, you need this. Read this. If, if, if you want to overcome uh, an addiction, you need to read this. If you want to become more patient, reading, hearing is, is going to bring change and transformation to you. If you want to become less lustful, you and I need to be reading this. If you want to become uh, a, a dangerous disciple, a courageous you know, convert, you need to be reading this. Because believing comes from hearing. Uh, there was a, a, uh, in a book by um, Jared Wilson, The Imperfect Disciple, he mentions this study that this in, enormous megachurch um, in Chicago, I think, uh, Willow Creek did, and, uh, and they were trying to figure out, all right, what, what contributes to spiritual growth? How does a person grow as a Christian and as a disciple? And for all of their strategizing and for all of uh, the, the ministries that were going on at Willow Creek, they came to a surprising conclusion. They said that the most powerful catalyst for moving people through stages of spiritual growth was reading and reflection on Scripture. This is the most powerful agent of change in your life and in my life. Are you listening? Are you reading? Uh, are you hearing? Uh, do you have a, a regular uh, Bible reading rhythm? You know, you might call it a quiet time or a devotional time. It doesn't matter what you call it, but are, are you spending time in this Word on a daily or weekly basis? Uh, I don't know if you are aware, but on the back of our sermon outlines, in addition to the, the prayer guide, um, are, is a scripture reading schedule. You can follow this if it works for you. The important thing is find something that works for you. Don't do what works for somebody else. Do what works for you. But by all means, get in a, a rhythm of reading and hearing God's word. When Jesus appeared to Thomas and said, all right, Thomas, you know, here am I. Put your fingers in the nail wounds and your hand in my side. And 
you know, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas goes, boy, my Lord and my God, this is amazing. And Jesus says to him, Thomas, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You're, you're blessed simply by hearing. Jesus speaks to you. He speaks to me. And hearing is believing and hearing comes through listening. Just good old-fashioned listening. Uh, sometimes the, the question comes up in our circles and our tradition, hey, does God still speak? Right? I mean, we read Hebrews and we know that God spoke through the prophets and he's spoken to us in these final days through Jesus. And, and then we had Paul and James and Peter and you know, John and the apostles and they were being used by God to speak his word. Does he still speak? You know, our, our tradition, our confession, what we believe the Bible says is that God's official word, you know, thus saith the Lord, the authority of scripture, this is... This is closed, you know. We're not adding another book after Revelation. This is closed. But that's not to say that God doesn't still speak. God still speaks. The, the, the word of God, um, Jesus himself, the word incarnate, is the bread of life, right? And, um, and among our, our maybe charismatic and Pentecostal brothers and sisters uh, who love Jesus and love his word, They'll sometimes, um, you know, poke and give us a hard time. Oh, you know, you, you, you all need a fresh word uh, from the Lord. You know, we've, we've got this fresh word for you. And, uh, and I have some pastor friends uh, in, in those circles, and, and they like to give me a hard time. And my response to them is, well, I, I do have a fresh word. Uh, I, as far as I checked, the last time I checked, the bread of life does not get stale. Jesus is still fresh. He's still relevant, he's still impactful, and he still guides and leads me. And everything I need to know about God, I can see through him. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard the Father. If you love me, you love the Father. It's Jesus. There's another way that we talk about God still speaking, and that's, you know, the still small voice, right? That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is, um, let's just call the Holy Spirit God's... Uh, God's hearing device for us, his, uh, our hearing aid to hear, hear God's word. We have these for any of you who, um, who need amplification. You can't hear my low range. I know I have a low range. Uh, these are available for you. You can turn them on and you, you, you may hear more of me. Maybe you don't want these. All right, anyway, anyway um, so the Holy Spirit is God's hearing aid for us so we can hear him so that our dead ears can, can come alive again. I will tell you this, it's hard to hear the Holy Spirit if everything around you is noise. If you don't have silence and quiet in your life and in, in, in a regular rhythm of just listening and being still before the Lord, you can't, you can't hear the Holy Spirit. All right, maybe there are going to be times when he's going to knock you off your horse. You can't help but to listen. All right, I get it. But in terms of just the ongoing walk of a disciple, if you don't practice silence, if you don't practice listening, you're not going to be in the habit of hearing. You're not going to hear him prompt you. You're not going to hear him remind you that he loves you. You're not going to hear him warn you. You're not going to hear him, uh, you know, just stuff that can come kind of out of the blue sometimes. Um, and uh, talk to me later. I'll tell you about some of, some of my experiences. Uh, what I want to get to, and at the end of the day, what matters is the importance of listening. There's this weird place in Revelation 
In Revelation 8, where you've got so many things happening in Revelation and people sadly and unnecessarily get confused and kind of thrown off by Revelation. It's a beautiful book. And for as much as is going on and all the songs and all the, the praise choruses and all the activity of God's you know, righteous acts to bring his kingdom to bear, uh, despite all of that, in Revelation 8, there's this really interesting place where it says, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence in heaven. Where God thought it was important enough that silence is so important that we're going to pause in the middle of heaven's victory and just be still. So take some time and be still. Don't be, don't be the folks in the Samaritan town who, um, you know, the woman at the well, Jesus sits down with her and confronts her and loves her and gives her life. Um, and then she goes back to her town and says, come, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Christ? And then they all, you know, are like, oh my goodness, what in the world's happening here? And they go out. They went to Jesus. John 4 tells us that they went out of the town and were coming to him. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there. He stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Have you, have you heard for yourself? There's an expression that God doesn't have grandkids. He has sons and he has daughters. But he doesn't have grandsons and he doesn't have granddaughters. Why? Because there's really no such thing as a second-hand believer. You either have an immediate first-hand encounter with the risen Jesus who converts you and makes you a new creation, or you're just sort of hearing about other people's experience of a first-hand account with Jesus. There's no grandkids in, in the family of God. And I want to ask you, are, are you sort of hearing about Jesus and experiencing Jesus second-hand through other people and their first-hand experience of Jesus, or have you had that first-hand experience yourself? Have you heard the voice of the Lord tell you you're loved, you're forgiven, I accept you on the basis of Jesus and what he did at the cross. Is that what you're trusting in? Or are you just sort of living off of the scraps of what other people have experienced as disciples? Go to Jesus firsthand. Go to him personally. Sit before him, just like Mary did. Sit at his feet and hear his voice tell you, Here's some stuff we got to deal with. He's going to gently confront you about the places where all of our lives are uniquely kind of out of sorts. And then he's going to tell you, I love you. And I love you enough to go to the cross and lay down my life for you. And I want you to follow me. This is your calling. Follow me. Hear from me. Listen to me firsthand. And, uh, and as Martin Luther says, go to the Bible. <laughs> go to the Bible itself, dear Christian. Let my expositions and those of all scholars be no more than a tool with which to build a right so that we can understand, taste, 
and abide in the simple and pure word of God, for God dwells alone in Zion. Have you heard him? Are you listening? Let me pray for us. Father, quiet our hearts enough to hear your voice. Quiet our minds enough to rest in your love for us through Jesus. And fill our hearts with your promises um, through the gate of our ears so that we would overflow and, and be uh, an agent of blessing and, and mercy and the revelation of Jesus to others so that they could come and, and taste and see firsthand that you are good as well. Lord, would you uh, grow our hunger for the bread of life? Um, Lord, would you forgive us for when we treat your words um, no, no better than any other words and sometimes even less than? Lord, would you help us to focus on you and rejoice in you and hear from you and learn from you as true learners, true disciples? And would you get glory through your transformed people as a result? In Jesus' name we pray.